Let's pray. Father, we thank you tonight for your grace and your goodness. And we thank you for the word that you've given to us. And Lord, we're living in very perilous times, as Paul wrote to Timothy. But he didn't just say perilous times. He told them what to do. And he said, preach the word. So we're here tonight to do that, Father. Because the antidote for the church, the antidote for the ills that are going on in the world so that they don't come into us and that we're strengthened is the preaching of the word, the declaring of the gospel. And we've come here tonight, Father, on a Wednesday night to be strengthened in that. And so we're looking to the Holy Spirit to take this word and to strengthen us by that. And so we thank you for it in advance. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We're on a series here called Walking by Faith. And it comes from a scripture in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, which we're not going to turn to, where Paul, having talked about the different difficulties that he went through, and we talked a little bit about some of those last week, he said, you know, I'm, I'm pressed in on all sides, but I'm not crushed. I'm perplexed, but I'm not in despair. These things were coming in at him, but they hadn't changed, they hadn't uprooted him. They hadn't moved him off of where he was. He went through battles, but they didn't move him from where he was. And so we looked at those things, and then we looked at why he was able to do that, because it was where he's focused. Remember, I had, uh, I had Denny, I had Gary, and I had Richard, who wasn't here this, morning, this evening. I had him up here, and I talked about you know, your, your, your flesh on one side, the world on one side, the spirit realm on the other side, and it's which one you're looking at that will determine which way you go and what your confidence is in. And then we didn't go that far, but he talks about uh, that, that at such time as he leaves this tent, which is referring to his earthly body, and we'll all do the same thing at some point. And he said, he said, because I'm, to be absent from the Lord is to be pre- absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, because we walk by faith and not by sight, talking about faith in that spirit realm, which is more real, and not being moved so much with what's going on around us. And so we've talked about a number of subjects. We've kind of looked at what faith is. We've, uh, we've talked about uh, the balance between faith and grace. Faith is our, grace is God's side, what He's done. Faith is what allows us to receive what God's done. Uh, we've talked about um, a number of different things. And again, last week we talked about being fully persuaded. What we're going to do tonight is, what I love about the Bible, it just doesn't teach doctrine. It doesn't just teach doctrine. It doesn't just teach principles, but it's filled of stories of real people trying to live this out. And, and, and it doesn't hold anything back. And we're going to look at one of these tonight. And, and this is why I try to be real with you by my walk with God, because I'm not, I'm not some super saint. Uh, uh, sometimes I'm a man of, you know, faith and powder. <laughs> uh, and, 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 you know, and we all grow and struggle, but we're all testimonies of God's grace, not of our great faith and our, not of our great strength. We, this, he's put this treasure in earthen vessels. One translation says clay pots, cracked pots. Well, we're all a bunch of cracked pots. So, uh, so we all have that in common with one another. But the Bible takes real people and, and tells us the story of their growth. And we're going to look tonight at, at one of those, a couple actually, Abraham and Sarah. And I picked him because Abraham's called the father of our faith. And last week, I think we looked over in Romans chapter 4, around verse 20, 20, where it says, he was fully persuaded. He never wavered in unbelief. Well, we're going to look tonight at the story of Abraham and how he got there. And I'm going to do this from, the, from help us learn by his journey, which is the popular term nowadays, by his walk, how he grew in faith. Because in Romans 4, it goes from verse 20 to 21. It looks like he just arrived there, but it took him 24 years. 
There's hope for us. It won't take you 24 years. Because he didn't have the Bible. He didn't have one another the way we do. So we're going to begin to look at Abraham. And Abraham is called, among other things, the father of our faith. So we're going to go back to the beginning of this, to Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12. We've got a lot of scripture to go through, but they're all pretty much together. So Mike was counting up the verses today as I gave him these scriptures. So... Now, Abraham, just so you understand, some of you do because you've been through school of ministry, Abraham was, was, a, was a, what we would call a heathen or a pagan. Abraham was, grew up in a city called Ur, which is like modern Babylon or Iran, Iraq. And, and they were moon worshippers. They didn't believe in God. They didn't know there was a true and living God. The moon never talked back to them, at least as long as they were sober. And, but they worshipped, they worshipped things that they saw in the sky, but they didn't know the true and living God. And God speaks to him. We don't know how, but God was able to speak with him and communicate with him. And now we're going to pick up on that communication in chapter 12, verse 1. Now, now the Lord said to Abram, Get out of your country. That's Ur, that's Babylon, where it would now be uh, Iran. And get away from your family. Sometimes that's good advice. I'm not telling anybody to move. And from your father's house to a land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and you shall be blessed, and I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So he speaks to him. He says, get out of your country. Get away from your family, because your family sometimes will drag you down when God's doing something with you. Your family can be the biggest challenge. Now, they can be a biggest help, or they can be the biggest challenge. And from the land that I will show you, notice he's not telling him where it's going to be. Now, I've always kind of wondered about this. What was it like when he went home and told his wife we're moving? I mean, these are real people. Sarai, that was Sarai was was her name then. We're moving. We're going somewhere. We're leaving family, and we're leaving this city. Where are we going? I don't know. Why are we going? God spoke to me. Who? God spoke to me. The moon? No, the real God. So it took faith. It took faith for him to begin to act on what he heard. And it took faith, her faith in her husband to follow him. Okay, we're going to go down to verse 7. And the Lord appeared to Abraham and said to your descendants, I will give this land. This is after he'd come out. I will give this land to your descendants. I will give this land. And here he built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. So the point here is God's making promises to him. Now he made a rather startling promise. If you go back into um, uh, uh, verse 2, I will make a great nation from you and I will bless you. I'll make your name great. Verse 3, I will bless those who bless you. I will curse him who curses you. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Abraham at this point is about 75 years old. Sarah is about 65 years old. And they have no children. No prospect of children because she, we find out later on, her, she's barren. Her womb is barren. She cannot have children. And God's talking about through you many nations are going to be blessed. 
And now we're going to go over um, down to chapter, to verse 10. All right? So God's appeared to him. We don't know how. God's made this promise to him, this man of faith. Verse 10. Now there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down to Egypt to dwell there, for the famine was severe in the land. And it came to pass that when he got close to entering Egypt, he pulled his wife aside, Sarah, and said, Indeed, I know that you're a woman of beautiful countenance. Therefore, it will happen that when the Egyptians see you, they will say, This is his wife. They're going to kill me so they can let you live. Please say you're my sister, and it will be well with me for your sake that I may live because of you. He's selling his wife out. Now, what did God say? I will bless those that bless you. I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. He didn't say that's going to last for a couple years, but if you go down to Egypt, you're going to get killed. God made a promise to Abraham. He's still called Abram at this point. Abram, and, 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 and the minute a challenge comes up, he caves in. God's made promises to him. We're talking about walking by faith and not by sight. So let's bring it down to where we live. It's as if Abram and Sarah came to Wednesday night service. And they heard the God's prophesy to them through the pastor. And say, through you all the nations are going to be blessed. Somebody blesses you, I'm going to bless them. Someone curses you, I'm going to curse you. And they walk out of here and they get a flat tire, and they throw it all away. Except this is worse. He's selling his wife out. He's trying to convince her, look, they're going to look at you, and they're going to think the only way they can get you is to kill me, and so why don't you say my, 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 I'm, you're my sister? Now, there was a little truth in that. But, of course, a little truth is still a lie. Side lesson here. A lesson I've learned in all my years of walking with the Lord, and I, you know, I, I hope I've learned this lesson. God is a God of truth. God only ever does anything in truth and through truth. So if, if you're faced with a situation, and many of us have been, and you may be well right now, maybe this is why I'm getting off into this, where, where you're, there's pressure on you to kind of bend the truth a little bit, so that they'll think well of you or so that you won't get in trouble, then when the minute you start bending the truth, you pull it out from underneath God. And you're now taking it into your own hands to resolve it yourself. But if you will choose to walk in truth about the situation and walk in love, God will defend you and God will bring you through. So you've got to decide under the pressure, do you want to handle it yourself because I found this, the more I start bending it, the more I got to bend it to protect what I've already bent. And what I've learned to do is say, this is what the truth is, and I'm going to face the consequences, and God, you've got to back me up. And if I get destroyed, I'm going to get destroyed walking in truth. And I've never had God fail me. But that's a step of faith. Because when I start, when I'm bending the truth, I'm trying to manipulate things to protect myself, and I have to ask myself, who can do a better job of protecting me, God or me? God will only deal in truth. All right, that was free. Okay, so here's what Abram's doing. 
He's selling out his wife to protect himself. So obviously, he's really not a father of our faith just yet. He's got a way to go. So let's go over to chapter 13. We're going to see he's grown a little bit. I love this story in here. Here's a story of Abraham. Oh, by the way, when God told him to leave his family, he didn't exactly do that. He took his father and his uncle with him, and he took his nephew with him, Lot, and his family. So he didn't exactly leave all of his family. He brought some of the relatives with him. And now there's a problem. Now they're in the promised land, and God's prospering Abraham, and he's prospering Lot, his nephew, and what's happening is the herdsmen are starting to squabble with each other over the grazing grounds. So Abraham brings Lot in, and he says, we've got a problem here. We're going to have to separate. We're going to have to separate. The land's not big for both of us. And so here's the choice God's give, Abraham gives him. Abraham is living up on a higher level geographically, and, and, they, and the, the valley level is li- nice, lush, plush grass where all the cattle and the goats and the, and the sheep can, can eat richly. There's rocks up where Abraham's been living. And God brings Abraham over, or Lot over, excuse me, Abraham brings Lot over and says, you choose which one you want. He can afford to do that because God has promised to bless him wherever he goes. And so here's the difference between a man of faith and a man of sight. And we'll pick up with this. Um... In verse 9, we, don't, we won't have that up there, but in verse 9, he says, Is the whole land before you? Please separate from me. If you take the left, then I'll go to the right. If you take the right, then I'll go to the left. In other words, you choose what you want. Whichever one you don't choose, that's the one I'll take. See, instead of trying to manipulate and take the best, he was letting his nephew choose because he knew God would take care of him whichever way it went, was. But look at verse 10. I love this. And Lot lifted up his eyes and saw... We're talking about walking by faith and not by sight. So Lot makes his choice by lifting his eyes up and basing it on what he saw. And he saw all the plain of Jordan. And what did he see? That it was well watered everywhere. This was before Lot, Lord, had destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. And it was like the garden of the Lord, like Eden, like the land of Egypt as you go towards Zoar. So Lot, his nephew, we're going to see is carnal, which means he's moved by what he sees. His choices are made based on what he sees. He has this choice, and in order to pick the choice, he bases it on what his eyes see, and it looks like it's well-watered. He's not considering spiritual issues. This is important here, because this is where a lot of the churches, so much of the church, and I'm not talking necessarily about this church, so much of the church is carnal. That doesn't mean they're sinful. It means we're dominated by our flesh and our mind and the way things appear naturally. That's why I shared with you back during the election. I didn't get into who to vote for, whether I could tell you that or not. It's not my job to tell you who to vote for. What I was telling you is don't look at things just based on what they look like and what they sound like because there are spiritual forces at work and they're still going on today. 
If you're spending all your time watching the news, listening to CNN or watching CNN, you're getting your senses bombarded with the world's interpretation of what's going on in there. When there's spiritual things at work behind this. And what we've got to learn to do is not react to what we see, but discern from God what is spiritually involved here. Now, as I've said before, on your way home, if you've got to go out on 195 and there's an 18-wheeler bearing down on you, you don't have to do any spiritual discernment. Don't pull out in front of it. But when it comes to the issues of what's moving on in our society, in our culture, sometimes it's people. In Ephesians chapter 6, it says, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. That boss of yours is so cantankerous, it's not necessarily him, it's the spirit that's behind him that's trying to get at you. And so we've got to learn to pull our spiritual eyes back and get us, be willing to get a sense of discernment of what's really going on here. And Lot did not do that. And we're going to see what a costly mistake that was for him. Okay, verse 11. And Lot chose for himself the plain of Jordan, and Lot journeyed east, and they separated from each other. And Abram dwelt in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelt in the cities of the plain, and pitched his tent even as far as Sodom. We know what happened there. But the men of Sodom were exceedingly wicked and sinful against the Lord. And we're not going to go on and say that, but, but once, once they've separated, the Lord says to Abram, after Lot had separated from this verse 14, lift up your eyes and now look from the place where you now are, northward, southward, eastward, and westward. Look, look, at, the, look at this contract. Lot lifted up his own eyes and went by what he could see in the natural and his understanding in the natural. Now that he's left... Now that the carnal people have gone, God says to Abram, now lift up your eyes and now look from the place where you now star, northward, southward, eastward, and westward. And then God's going to say to him, for all the land which you see I will give you and your descendants, and I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth, so that if a man could number the dust of the earth, then your descendants could be numbered. Arise, walk in the land through its length and its width, and I will give it to you. In other words, God's saying, look by faith, and whatever you look at, and wherever you walk, I'll give it to you. Lot walked by what he could see and what he could provide for himself. Abraham was a man of faith, and Abraham said, I don't need to walk by what I see. God's made a promise to me. He'll provide to me. And isn't it interesting? Once the carnal group left, the people that could walk by faith, God began to show vision to them. God's showing vision to Abram. And notice God's vision. As far as you can see, I'll give it to you. And see, we need to learn to see spiritually things. Spiritually dream. In the last days, it says, the old men are going to dream dreams. Well, I've started to have some dreams. I hope that doesn't mean I'm old yet. And the young men are going to see visions. In other words, we've got to learn to see things the way God sees them. And God thinks big. God doesn't look at the world right now and say, oh, what, what are we going to do? I mean, this is getting bad. Did you watch? Did you watch CNN last night? 
Oh my goodness, what are we going to do? ISIS! Oh! God's seeing opportunity. God's looking at opportunities. Spiritual things that are moving. And so we've got to learn to grow and see things the way God sees them and not with our natural eyes and not with our natural understanding. One of the things I've learned, I'd love to tell you I've mastered it, it never happens. But when something happens that's threatening, either to me personally, my family, or this church, I've learned to pull inside. So I can describe it. I've learned to pull inside and listen in here. I've told you stories before. I don't have time to get into them before. I had at least three of those situations happen in a courtroom. Not as a pastor standing in a pool, but in a courtroom where the judge was about to throw my case out. And I, instead of panicking, I listened in here. And I got a sense of wisdom of what to do, or in one case, what to say. And in each case, it turned the thing supernaturally around because God knew what the situation was, and I didn't. I always figured if God would do that in a courtroom for a heathen client, how much will He do for His people in the church? But we've got to learn to not be moved by what we see. We've got to learn to not be moved by what it sounds like. And it can be very threatening, but it's only threatening to your senses. And learn God lives in here. The Spirit, the comfort, the strength, and the standby, the same Spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead lives in me. Why am I wasting Him? Let me listen to what He has to say, because He's got the power to raise Christ from the dead. What are all those uncircumcised Philistines that are out there? Oh, David's another one we'll look at. That's a thank you, Lord. Yeah, that's a good one. Okay. All right. So, so here God's saying, wherever you look, I'll give it to you. Whatever you can walk around, I'll give it to you and your descendants after you. All right. Well, I would love to tell you that Abraham is just there completely. Um, let's go to, uh, over to Genesis 15. And here, uh, I'll go through a little bit of this. And after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your protection, your exceeding great reward. I'm your shield and I'm your reward. But Abram said, Lord God, what will you give me, seeing that I go childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus, which was his servant. And Abram, then Abram said, Look, You've given me no offspring. Indeed, one born of my house is my heir. Behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said, This one shall not be your heir, but one who shall come from your own body will be your heir. Then he, oh, I love this. Then he brought him outside. So what God's doing here, God's teaching him to walk by faith. He's teaching him to see by faith and not by sight. Here's Abraham's problem. God's talking to him about being the father of many nations, and he's now probably about 85 years old, and they still have not had any children. His wife's barren and not getting any better, and now he's too old. I mean, it is impossible. He's dead in that way. She's double dead in that way. I won't. If you need explanation about that, you can call the office tomorrow and Pastor Michael will give you some counseling. 
Oh, he said he's taking the day off? Oh, okay. <laughs> All you got to do is turn on TV. So here, what God's got to do now is God's got to expand Abraham's thinking. And that's what God needs to do with us. Oh, I'm preaching to me now. This is not going to be fun. God is an enormous thinker. He thinks big, and we think small. There's a story I heard a number of years ago about uh, an older gentleman that took his friend out fishing. And they get out on the boat on the lake, and the, fish, and the old friend throws the line over, and uh, uh, he catches this fish that's about this big and puts it in his bag. Throws the line over, he catches a fish about this big, pulls it up, throws it back. Well, this goes on. The small fish he's keeping, the big fish he's throwing back. And finally, after a little while of this, his friend he says, well, Can I ask you a question? Why are you throwing the big fish back and keeping the small one? He says, Because the big fish won't fit in my frying pan. And that's how many of us think. Oh, that's too big. We can't do that. We don't have the resources to do that. I am preaching to me now, so you better... Oh, this is not fun. Okay. So he brought him outside, verse 5, and said, Look towards the heaven and count the stars if you're able to number them. I don't know if you've ever been out in the desert or out on a, on a, on a, a beach when there's no lights around on a clear night. When I was in college, my roommate and I drove across the country, and we got out into the Arizona desert, I don't know, about midnight on this road, and we decided to pull over. We didn't lie in the dirt. We lay in the hood of the car and looked up. I have, it was all overwhelming, the number of stars that were out there. It was, it just, I got caught up in it, and I believe that's what happened to Abraham. And God's, See, God's getting him to dream by looking at natural things. He's getting him to dream. See the number of stars He's just getting him lost in this physical vision. And once he's got him lost in that, he says, so shall your descendants be. And Abraham, and he believed the Lord and was accounted to him for righteousness. Then he said to him, I, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give this land to you to inherit it. And he said, Lord God, how shall I know that I will inherit? He's questioning God. How do I know that I'm going to inherit it? He's, God, will, God will accept questions when you're trying to learn and grow. But He knows when we ought to be at a certain place and when we're using the question to avoid something we know how to do, that's a different matter. He said, how do, how do I know? Verse, go to verse uh, 6. Go to verse 7. How, I'm the Lord... Keep on verse 8. And the Lord said, and he said, Lord God, how shall I know that I will inherit? He's, his mind is trying to struggle, which means the first time God spoke this to him, he really didn't get it. He didn't get the fullness of the vision. I, I've learned that God often has to speak a vision several times, and often it's over a period of time, because God knows us. I don't know who I'm talking to tonight other than me. God knows us. He knows how small our minds are. He knows how set in our ways we are. He knows how limited our thinking is. And God's trying to get this enormous vision crammed into our little thinking. So He knows that He doesn't want to hurt us. <laughs> so He's got to kind of introduce the idea. 
I've got, I've got some people I know, not, not on my staff, I don't want you guessing. I've got some people I know that I kind of have to introduce ideas to and suggest them, and then they'll eventually come around and see it. But if you come at them right away, it's like, wow, we're not doing that. I had a whole family who was like that growing up. We're not doing that. It's like, okay. So I learned, I learned this with my mother. You know, you didn't come right out and say, her answer was always no. So I knew that. So I figured, well, this is why I was the, I was the oldest. You need to pray for me. I was the oldest. I figured how to work around her, and the others always came to me and said, go tell mom this. So I knew if he came head, head, head on at her, she'd just say no, because that was the easy thing. So I kind of lay the groundwork and come back. And that's kind of what God's doing here. He's trying to get Abraham to think in his terms, because listen to me, he wants to give him something. See, we think God's trying to keep things away from us. God's trying to give us things, but our thinking is so small, it's so legalistic, that he's not able to get us to receive the things he's freely given to us. He said, if I spared not my own son, but delivered him up for all of you, how will I not also together with him freely give us all things? Romans 8.32. So he's got to get him to dream. So he understands. He's, how, how will I know? I don't want to get my hope out there. How do I know that I shall inherit it? And verse 9, he said, bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a pigeon... And he brought all these things to him, cut them in two, down the middle, and placed each piece opposite each other, but he didn't cut the birds in two. What is that all about? How in the world is that an answer to how do I know I'm going to inherit when you promise me? Now, if you've been in school of ministry, you do understand this. What God's beginning to do with him is go through a ritual that they would do in that day and age of cutting a covenant together. One of the steps often in entering into a blood covenant was to take animals, cut them down the middle, lay their halves open, and of course that would create an awful lot of blood. And then the parties that were entering in this covenant would lock arms and they would walk up and down through the parted halves in a, in a, 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 a circle eight manner, representing unending. And by dividing them and walking down the middle, it was signifying that these two were now one. They were in the middle between these two. And the blood, the blood path was known as the way. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And we're not going to take the time to go on, but he has Abraham go through a number of other things uh, which represent steps in the entering into a blood covenant the essence of a blood covenant in those days, and it's still practiced in many, in some eastern societies and you're in, in, down in, in Africa, uh, and it, the essence of a covenant is that, that you have made a blood, you, the two have now become one. If it was two tribes, they're now one tribe. If it was two families, they're now one family. I mean, the closest thing I knew about growing up was called blood brothers. So, you know, you'd prick each other and you know, let your blood intermingle. And so it represents now there's a bond between us and it is so solid that if one of them breaks it, the other has a right to kill him. Not only that, part of that pledge is everything I have now belongs to you and everything you have now belongs to me. The only thing we have in our society that's close to that is the covenant of marriage. And that's why the two become one. 
The two now become one. They now have one identity. All their assets are one. All their liabilities are one. They're joined together. And the act of marriage is literally the act of entering into a blood covenant. And so this is God saying to him, you want to know for sure that I'm going to back it up? I am pledging my life to you. Now, this was just a forerunner. We can't, don't have time to get into this tonight. But if you go over into Galatians, what you discover is God was entering into this covenant with Abraham symbolically so that when Christ came, he would literally enter into this covenant with Christ on that cross. On that cross, God cut a blood covenant with man through Jesus. Whereby God pledged everything he is, everything he has, to whoever comes into that covenant. And God is saying to Abraham, here's how you... Because Abraham would understand what this meant. He wouldn't have to go through school of ministry to figure it out. He would know the moment he would be told to take those animals and cut them open, God was entering into a blood covenant with him. Very solemn. In some societies, when people get married, they would tattoo the ring on their finger. Not so easy to take off. <laughs> you think twice about having it done. Alright, we've got to move on. So, Abraham's all set, right? Okay. Chapter 16. Uh, excuse me. Oh yeah, chapter 16. We're not going to read it. But in chapter 16, what happens is nothing. <laughs> you ever do that? You get a word from God, you stand on it, boy, you've gotten, you've confessed it, you just know it's yours, and you go to bed at night, wow, I know it's mine. You wake up, what was that verse? <laughs> and nothing happens. And you start, what, did I hear from God? What happened? What's wrong? Am I in sin? All these things start running through our mind. Nothing happened. So they come up with an idea. Sarah comes to him and says, I got an idea. I got this servant, Hagar, and we're going to have her come into you. And by the way, that was not an uncommon practice in that day because the worst thing would be to not have an heir. This is why he said, you know, right now the only heir I have is my servant. I'm going to adopt him, Eliezer, because I've got to have an heir. And now what she's saying is, okay, we're going to help God out. This isn't working too well. Nothing's happening. And so I'm going to give my servant to you and see if, if that can produce anything. And lo and behold, she conceived and brought forth a son, and they named him Ishmael. And we're living with the results of Ishmael today. And Ishmael was born, and then later on we're going to see... Well, I'm getting ahead of myself. So here what's happening is because nothing's happening, they've got to help God out. They, they've got to help God out. Now, I want you to understand, this is not, like, this is not taking place over two weeks. This is taking place over years. So before we sit there and kind of look at Abraham and says, wow, what kind of faith man were you? How well would we do in 10 years if nothing happened? And she's not looking any prettier. <laughs> she's not looking more able. <laughs> and neither is he. Although obviously he became able here. All right. So, we're not going to go through all that story. Let's go over to chapter 17. 
Now Abram's 99 years old. And the Lord appeared to Abram and, uh, and said to him, I am Almighty God. I am, I am, Je- I am uh, uh, El Shaddai. I am Almighty God. Walk before me and be blameless, and I will make my covenant between me and you. He's renewing the covenant, and I will multiply you. He's not talking about one kid. They don't have any children. No prospect. And God's still talking about nations. See, sometimes what happens, many times what happens is we see what God's talking about, and it just doesn't even begin to look possible from where we are, so we just dismiss it. Because we have to walk, we have to see the next step. We've got to see how, how are we going to get there? How are we going to get there? Oh, I should have thought of this earlier. Uh, there's a story I heard a long time ago uh, about, just, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a simple story, it's not a true story, about if God, if you're standing on a pier and God says, speaks to you and says, Son, I want you to go to the end of the pier and get into the boat and then go to the other side of the lake. So what do you do? You start walking down the pier, but what's the first thing you're going to do? See if there's a boat there. I was in a store a couple of years ago, and I saw this beautiful picture, and it was the picture of a, of, of a, of a dock <laughs> with no boat at the end. And I have it as my, as my uh, screensaver on my iPad. I should have thought and put it up here, because it's a reminder to me. So what do you do? You start walking. As you're walking towards the end, you're looking to see if there's a boat there, and if there's no boat there, you start walking slower. Because we've got to give God time to get a boat there. And then we start looking around to see where it, it might come from. And so we're just going as slow as we can because we've got to give God time. We know the boats don't just show up. How it's going to get there? And of course, what we're forgetting is God created the universe with His words. Getting a boat at the end of your dock is no problem from God. And if the boat's not there, he's had some people walk on water before. See, how that's God's job. How it's going to happen is up to God. Walking to the end of the pier is my job. And the, and, and the slower I go, the more I don't trust he's actually going to be there. And I've got to keep looking with my senses. To, and God thinks in big terms. So Abram's got to be looking. We don't have one child. There's no prospect for this. And you're talking about nations? And here God comes back, renews this covenant with him again. Verse... Um, back to verse 2. And I will make my covenant between me and you and multiply you exceedingly. And Abraham fell on his face and worshipped God and thanked him. That's not what it says. Fell on his face and God talked with him and said, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be a father of many nations. And now he talks about changing his name. We're not going to go through that, but that's one of the steps of a covenant. Verse 7. Verse 6, and I will make you exceedingly, I will make you. I will make you. He didn't say you are exceedingly fruitful. I will make you exceedingly fruitful. I will make nations from you and kings will come from you. There's no child yet. 
And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you in their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and your descendants after you. And I will give to your descendants and after you the land in which you are strangers, all the land of Canaan as the everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And let's go down to verse 17. And Abraham fell on his face and laughed in his heart, and said in his heart, Shall a child be born to a man who's a hundred years old, and shall Sarah, who's ninety-nine years old, bear a child? Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. God's made it very clear what he wants to do. God's made it very clear how this is going to happen, and Abraham's struggling with this. Why? Because there's no evidence that this is happening, and there's no reason to believe it's ever going to happen, because it's never happened in the history of man, other than that God just said so. So God's made a covenant with him. God's now renewed that covenant in clear terms, and at the result of that, Abraham falls on his face and laughs at God. Now, he's not deriding God. He just can't. This is just can't. I mean, I'm a hundred years old. Have you seen her? This just is not going to... Come on, God. And so he says, All right, we've come... Oh, that Ishmael would live before you. See, when God has a plan, He's going to do it His way or not at all. All right, we've got to move along here. Oh, by the way, I forgot to mention to you what happened to Lot. Because the place He chose that He could see the land that was so lush... There were two cities there. One was Sodom, and the other was Gomorrah. And what happened right after he moves down there is there are three kings that come, and they capture all of Sodom, and they capture all of Gomorrah, along with Lot and his family, and they carry them away. So, although the grass was green... He walked by sight and not by faith. So Abram has to go and rescue him and has to bring him back. That was the first time. The second time, God's fed up with what's going on in Sodom and Gomorrah. It's kind of like what's going on in our world today. And it's the, 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 the perversion, the perversion and the evil that's oppressing in on Lot... And God says, I have to do something. And we know the story, he rains fire and brimstone out of heaven. Before he does that, he stops by his friend Abraham, and he tells him what he's going to do. We're about to look at that. And Abraham intercedes for his nephew Lot, basically. And God sends angels to rescue him and bring him out. He had to be rescued twice from disasters. Because he chose based on what he could see. Okay, let's go over to um, chapter 18. And this is where the Lord comes and appears to him. And he's going to go destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. But he stops to talk to Sarah. And we're going to pick up in uh, verse 1. The Lord appeared to him by the terebinth tree in Mamre. And as he was sitting by the tent door, we're going to go down to verse uh, 9. And they said to him, Is Sarah here? Is your wife here? And he said, she's here in the tent, verse 10. He said, I will certainly return to you according to the time of life. That's nine months for gestation. And behold, Sarah and your wife will have a son. 
Sarah was listening in the tent door, which was behind him, and Abraham and Sarah were old and well advanced in age, and Sarah had passed the age of childbearing. Therefore Sarah laughed within herself. She's laughing at God now. After I've grown old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord, being old also? And the Lord says to Sarah, said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh, saying, Surely I shall, when I said, Surely I shall bear a son since I'm old? Is there anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you. And according to the time of life, Sarah shall have a son. And then she said, I really didn't laugh. Twenty-four years have passed since God first made that promise to him. Twenty-four years. I want you to stop for a second, and some of you may not even be able to do this. Think back of where you were 24 years ago. And what you were doing, 20, some of you really may not want to. The time between what you were doing then and now is what he had to wait. Every day, the physical evidence of his body, every day, the physical evidence of her body says, This is not going to happen. Not only that, it's never happened before. So there's no way this can happen. But God said, So we're learning about walking by faith in what God says and not being moved by the messages that our senses give us. Again, go out on 195, be ruled by your senses. But when it comes to the things of God and the words of God and the promises of God and walking with God, you cannot be ruled by your senses. You've got to walk by faith, your eyes of faith of what God said. And that's what He's growing through here. And of course, what happens is, uh, I, we, we, we if went on again later, he offers his wife again as his sister. Uh, let's go to Genesis 22. So now what's happened is, sure enough, what God said happened. Isn't that interesting? And Isaac's born. And Isaac's grown up to be a young man. And keep in mind, this is the son that God promised him. He is the child of his old age. He's the only child he's ever conceived at this point. He's the, no, excuse me, he had Ishmael by, by Sarah. And, 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 and he's, he's, this, is the, this is the child of his life. This is God's gift to him. And, 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 and he just, his whole world is caught up. And not only that, the future of everything God promised him is in this boy. Every po- possibility of what God's promised him coming true is in this boy. And it came to pass after these things, Genesis 22.1, that God tested Abraham. And he said to him, Abraham, he said, here am I. He said, then he said, take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I shall tell you. And Abram, Abram rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey. Notice as he gets up early in the morning. Think about what this is saying to him. Think about what's going on in his mind. Think about God could not have made any clear to him that this is the child of the promise. God could not have made any clear to him, it is through this boy that I have given you by your trusting me that I am going to make you the father of many men. Not by that other kid you had, by this boy. And now God's telling him, I want you to take this boy and I want you to plunge a knife in him and I want you to burn him on a wooden pyre and burn his life up to me. Now can you see an inconsistency in that? 
Most of us would have said, Oh, that's the devil. I mean, I know that's the devil because I know what God told me. So we would reason, we would reason about what God said because it didn't make sense with other things God said. That's not trusting God, that's reasoning. Now you've got to know God's voice. So he gets up early in the morning, and we've got to shorten this down. And they go three days out. He's got servants with him. He's got the wood with him. He's got the, the charcoal for the fire. And they get there and he says to the servants, he says, this is, the, this is the man of faith. He says, you stay here and the lad and I are going to go worship God. He's calling this worship God. We're going to go worship God and we will come back to you. So they're going up the mountain. You know the story. Ishmael's he must have been a little slow or he really trusted his dad because on the way up the mountain he's starting to take inventory here. Let's see, for a sacrifice you need wood, you need the fire, and you need an animal. I see the wood, I see the fire. Dad, I don't see an animal. And Abraham's answer is God will provide, literally in the Hebrew it says God will provide himself. And the Hebrew name is Jehovah Jireh. God will provide Himself. Yes, stay here. The lad and I will go yonder. He was a southern boy. And return. So they go up the mountain. You know the story. He binds the sun up. What tremendous faith the sun had. And he brings the knife up and he's ready to plunge it down. And, and, and an angel speaks to him. Verse 12. He said, Do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear... That means reverence me, since you've not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, there was a ram caught in the thicket. So Abraham went on, took the ram, offered him up for a burnt offering instead of his son. And Abraham called the name of the place the Lord will provide, because it's said in this day, in the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. Then the angel Lord called to Abram a second time out of heaven and said, Behold, myself, I have sworn, says the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son from me, your only son, blessing I will bless you, multiplying I will multiply your descendants. There's the, that's the same thing you promised in the beginning. The difference is Abraham has stepped into another level and dimension of this covenant. Because I didn't mention this to you. In a covenant, when I make a covenant, somebody one one group makes a covenant with another. They're pledging everything I am and have is yours for whatever you need it. But the other side is whatever I need, you pledge to give me. And what God is saying here, I pledged everything to you, now I want your son. Your only son. And because Abraham obeyed him, God's saying, I will withhold nothing from you. Let me show you how significant this is. Because God's made a covenant commitment Oh, I've got to hurry. God's made a covenant commitment to Abraham and to his descendants that whatever you need, I will give you because you've not withheld your own son from me. If you ever need my son, I have pledged and I am now bound to give my son for you. And isn't it interesting that the same mountain on which Abraham is offering Isaac is later called Golgotha 
And it's on that same mountain that God offers His only begotten Son as a fulfillment of the covenant promise God made to Abraham. And what holds that covenant together is God's commitment to Christ and Christ's commitment. It doesn't depend on your faithfulness. It depends on their faithfulness to each other. That's why it's an everlasting covenant. If you look over, we're not going to have the time, over in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 17 and 19, it tells us the secret there. Because Abraham believed, see, he didn't throw the first promise out. He didn't say, well, I guess God changed his mind. He wants the boy. No, he said, I don't know how these two fit together. That's not my business. But if I've got to drive a knife in him, Hebrews 11 says, I know God will have to, God has to raise him from the dead. God's going to do that. That's why he said, the lad and I will return. Because God had committed to him, Abraham was convinced that it was through this boy he was going to be the father of many nations. So he didn't have to figure out how this was going to happen. He just needed to obey God to the fullest. And over in James chapter 2, James refers to this and says, in the same way that Abraham perfected his faith by acting on what God said, in the same way our faith is perfected as we act on what we believe. Abraham didn't just say, you know, I believe God, I believe God, I believe God. God put him to the test and Abraham proved what he believed by being willing to drive a knife down into his son because he was confident that if necessary, God would raise him from the dead. How he got that boy back was God's business, but our business is to obey God. Abraham learned over all this time to trust God, to walk by faith and not by sight. We've seen this journey. At the beginning, he's still moved by what he sees. He's still doubting what God says because the physical evidence of his body, the physical evidence of her body saying, mm, this is not going to happen. And yet God continues to re- re- remind him of the promise. But Abraham finally grew to the place where he trusted what God said and not what his senses told him and not what his reason told him. And this is why God is called, Abraham is called the father of our faith. And I love it. I mentioned last week. And God, through Paul, in Romans chapter 8, in verse 20, says, He considered not His own body. He, he, grew, he, he wavered not at unbelief, but He grew strong in faith, giving glory to God. He wavered all over the place. But God's testimony about Abraham's faith is where He ended up, not where He began and not where He was in the middle but where he ended up. And I don't know about you, but that encourages me. Praise God. Amen? Amen. Praise the Lord. Did you learn something tonight? Praise God. We'll look at another Hebrew hero of faith next week. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word that shows us real men and real women that sometimes doubted you, Father, that, that had to grow in their faith. And each one of us here, Lord, is in a process of growing in our faith. And Lord, we just need to be encouraged tonight that we can be real with you and real with ourselves of where we are because you meet us where we are. And Father, we just ask you to take the words that we've heard and help us to apply that in our lives so that we may begin to walk more and more by faith in what you've said and not be moved so much by what our senses are telling us. And we thank you for the grace and the strength to do that. In Jesus' name, amen.